Hey everybody, it's Edward. Uh, before we get started on the show today, I wanted to offer a personal apology to my friend and guest Sarah. After we were done recording this episode a few days ago, she informed me that I talked over her a number of times during the show, which I was not aware of when I was doing it. And as I was listening to the broadcast as I was editing it, I came to realize just how often I actually did do it. It was not intentional. I'm glad that we are comfortable enough as friends that she could bring it up to me and know that I won't take it personally. She just wants me to be the best person I can be, and I appreciate that, and I thank her for that. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Film Jerk Podcast. I'm your host, Edward Havens, and I'm very happy to introduce my special guest host for this episode, someone who I've known for far longer than either of us would like to admit, Sarah Bullion. Sarah is an award-winning producer whose industry experience ranges from art department to director to first AD to holding an MFA in screenwriting from Stevens College, home of the Citizen Jane Film Festival. Sarah has written and directed five short films and spent 10 years on set ADing and propping on some of the most exciting and award-winning movies and TV shows. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Edward. So, about a year and a half ago, Sarah was over at our house when they suggested to me an idea they thought would be a good idea for an episode. The grounded genre of 80s movies. Dun-dun. Dun-dun. What is grounded genre? It is, in a nutshell, it's something fantastical that is happening in an otherwise realistic world. I, uh, well, because, you know, who knows, right? I consulted an authority, Glenn Mazzara. Glenn Mazzara? Glenn Mazzara. The The Glenn Glenn Mazzara. I did. I did. Isn't he the guy who took over for Frank Darabont on The Walking Dead? As a matter of fact, he is. Wow. He was the man responsible for that whole year at the farm. The whole year at the farm. (laughs) Uh, And he's also the guy who did a, recently did a pilot for Stephen King's The Dark Tower which Amazon didn't pick up, and I'm still upset, and I think that's a horrible mistake. And then um, he's also the guy who was the EP of the TV show Damien, and, you know, today's Damien's birthday, and uh, it's all for him. It is Damien's birthday. It is. So I asked Glenn, um, you know, I figured having his thoughts would be fascinating, and he said simply, grounded genre is when there is only one, one supernatural element in a fairly recognizable world one demon in The Exorcist, one alien in Close Encounters, one shark in Jaws. I thought that was a funny example. Harry Potter has a lot of magical slash supernatural elements, not grounded. Um, and uh, I'd have to, I think that seems pretty fair, fair right? A fair estimation. I like the, the point that it's only one thing. You add in more things, it just gets muddled, and then it's its own thing, and it becomes ungrounded, I guess. Yeah. I guess it detaches. Yes. Too many things detaches. Um, What's a good example of a grounded genre? You know, Edward, I'm glad you asked that question. There are many, many examples. There are many examples. As even as we were trying to prepare this, we were like came up with like twenty, twenty, thirty titles. Yeah, and... twenty, thirty, and that was even without trying. So, yeah. uh, but you know, probably one of the more notable Jaws, notwithstanding. Examples is The Terminator, James Cameron's The Terminator, a movie in which a human and a cyborg assassin are transported from Los Angeles in the year 2029, it's coming in, coming in fast, to Los Angeles in the year 1984. Cyborg assassin has one directive to kill Sarah Connor. The human, Kyle Reese, also has one directive to save Sarah Connor from The Terminator so that an apocalyptic nuclear future does not lose its leader, her soon to be the child um so except except for some punks at griffith observatory uh two women who also happen to be named sarah connor sarah connor's mother sarah connor's roommate and the roommate's boyfriend some people at a nightclub called tech noir always my favorite yes and some officers at the local police station <laughs> except for those people um everything else is just 
completely Los Angeles in 1984. Nobody else has any idea what's what's going on. Thanks to the efforts of two people thrown into an impossible situation that doesn't really change anything. So for the rest of Los Angeles, it's just 1984. And then theoretically, at the end of the movie, nothing has changed at all for them. Um, because Sarah Connor is still alive and their futures will theoretically go on. I mean, if there wasn't a successful first movie, there wouldn't be all the other things and the television show and right. the spin it off course. But at least in this movie, once they've completed that mission, nobody else knows, theoretically, what could have happened had they not succeeded. Is that right? That's not right. Yeah, it is. Is it? Yeah. Because how? I mean, because the whole point is. Yeah, but everybody's still going to die. Everybody's still going to be a war. Well, yes and no. <laughs> but in, in, is, a, in a possible timeline, future timeline. In a possible future timeline, if Kyle and Sarah don't succeed, and humanity is doomed eventually. Yeah, and 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 John Connor is never born. Indeed. Then the timeline goes in a completely different direction. From that point forward, maybe it only does like an off-ramp where you're just slightly edging away, but then eventually it goes in its own direction because you're no longer going in the initial, which also times into one of the other stories that uh, I'll be talking about in a few minutes. Can't wait to hear about that. I'm sure. Stay tuned. And I have to be completely honest. When I was watching these movies that we're going to be talking about today for the first time back in the 80s, these are not things that I was thinking about. I was just examining, as a 16, 17, 18-year-old, just what I was seeing on screen. I just looked at them at pure service level. And even as I was getting older and I saw other things in those, that was still not something that I was specifically looking at. But now that I've watched them again with this different mind frame, they are actually different movies now to me, which is fascinating. But since this was your concept and you are my guest today, why don't you take the first movie? I will. Um, this is all clinical stuff. You know, we're giving the definitions of grounded genre. But for me, there's, a, there's another level to it. Uh, it's more personal. Um, I find grounded genre almost reassuring if you can, if you can get there with me. Um, my whole life is grounded genre. I'm flipping back constantly between real and preternatural on a daily basis. Um, give you a little bit of background, Ed. You don't know any of this stuff. Um, I think I was 14, I guess, when we met. Maybe um, maybe 13, something like that. Well, well, you were class of 87 or 88? 88. Okay, so then you're three years behind me. So, yeah, about 14. I guess it was probably a freshman. Yeah, I was 17 when I was... A, actually, I was 16 when I started the senior year, so... You were probably 14, because I yeah. I started a year early. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, aren't you smart? I was once. <laughs> oh, those days. So, uh, again, what you don't know about me from childhood is um, I've always been talking to ghosts. I've always seen shit. I've always heard shit. I've always gotten information from other places. And um, my mother noticed this pretty early and, you know, she thought that was fascinating and because it, it made her look pretty interesting, too. So she actually sent me at 10 years old to a psychic camp. Welcome to Santa Cruz in 1980, where I spent a weekend learning how to harness my talents, gifts from God, whatever they were, um, which I did, actually. I still use some of those tools that I learned that weekend. But... Uh, growing up in the <laughs> preternatural forests of Aptos in the Nicene Marks and the, you know, uh, Redwoods and things like that. I felt like this weird tweaker little girl, felt like a little freak. So I was sort of drawn, of course, to grounded genre. One of my earliest first favorite authors was Madeline Langle with A Wrinkle in Time, mm -hmm. which is full of freaks who do cool shit. Right. And um, it's one of my life's favorite books. Yeah, and that was a real turning point for me as a kid to go, oh, and and as I told people, it's, that was the first time I thought, you know, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm not an alien weirdo. So the jump from there, from Madeline Langle to Stephen King was a short one, um, and I was probably way too young to be reading him, but when I first read Firestarter, 
um, <laughs> you know, they, they say, when was the first time you saw yourself represented on film? And I'd have to say probably Firestarter. And so that's my first movie. Firestarter was produced by Frank Capra Jr., which is ironic because my other favorite movie is uh, It's a Wonderful Life, so I'm sure there's a through line in there somewhere. <laughs> and directed by Mark Lester, who did uh, Commando and Roller Boogie, and written by Stanley Mann, who did Damien, Omen 2, and Conan the Destroyer, among other things, and Stephen King. So, yeah, so it stars... Drew Barrymore um, in her next movie after E.T. And then David Keith and Heather Locklear play her parents. Martin Sheen is the head bad guy at the shop. And is the embattled, scarred Native American cleaner. Who else but George C. Scott? Who else would play a Native American cleaner? I don't know. Assassin, the I, George to, C. Scott. To be completely honest, I haven't watched Firestarter again. I wasn't a big fan of it the first time <laughs> around. Um, I found it to be very... I, it's one of my lesser favorite Stephen King stories from that time frame. And the movie is one of my lesser favorite adaptations of that time frame. Which, there are many, <laughs> unfortunately. It's a long list. But it's one of those movies that it's... Even knowing that you were going to talk about it, I didn't really feel the need to re visit it right because it just for me i i'll understand where you're coming from but for me it's just it's too over the top in its acting and it's very melodramatic to me in many or i don't know i gotta i gotta or, disagree with you because when i just rewatched it i was actually pretty impressed with like Martin Sheen, it's a, it's of course a very over the top story, right? Um, but Martin Sheen and David Keith were actually pretty great. Um, well, Martin Sheen is pretty great as a pretty standard, thing. right? But there's a whole you know there's a plethora yeah. of great actors in there who are also. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, I'm totally coming from a different point of view. Yeah. So for me, that that just you know already I did I wasn't that big of a fan of the story in the first place. Not just because I don't you know there's like there has to be. In order for there to be good Stephen King stories, there has to be not good Stephen King stories in order to <laughs> you to know which ones are the good ones. Because right. if they're all good, then none of them are good. Which is, yeah. For, you know, so, but again, I was what, four, what, 15, 16 at the time? Yeah, 16 when Firestarter came out. Right, yeah. So I would have been out of 14. And again, it's, you know, when we talk about why you go to movies. Some, sometimes to be entertained, sometimes to feel seen. Um, I sort of, you know, I would have, I would have gone to go see Firestarter, especially after having read it, to see myself up there. And you know, I, I think about grounded genres sometimes, like mythology. You know, mythologies are created so that you can explain the world, right? Right. Ostensibly. Um, <laughs> caveat. 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 Um, and so to me, grounded genre, especially as a kid who did stuff and said stuff and heard stuff. And, you know, for me going to see these movies, it was a great way to, if not harness it, maybe find a little order, a sense of order in the world and in my abilities and, and the shit that's going on that's happening to me, Right. you know, me being grounded genre, things are happening to me and you living in the real world going, you know, Oh, you didn't hear that right. i just i just heard that okay i just heard that so been more of a participant when it comes to going to movies you know like um i was in bed sick one day and my husband came in i was watching something just awful and traumatic you know and uh and he, and he goes why do you do that to yourself and i was like i don't know and then i thought about it a little bit and i was like you know Especially when you've suffered trauma and then you watch movies or shows about trauma 
you know, somebody wins at the end. The bad guy is, you know, thwarted and the good guy perseveres and you can, you know, the narrative is controlled and it's not like the chaos that you experienced. So for me, the, I find grounded genre comforting in that way, for okay. sure. So, you know, I so I, I would go in to seeing um, Firestarter less concerned about you know, I guess the performances and more just concerned about the plight of Kat, of Charlie, the little girl. To give a summary of the movie Firestarter, it has been written as, as youths, Andy McGee and his future wife Vicky participated in secret experiments, allowing themselves to be subjected to mysterious medical tests. Andy developed the ability to push people to do what he wants. Years later, the couple's daughter, Charlie, begins to exhibit the ability of setting fires solely with her mind. This makes her extremely dangerous and a target for the shop. So what I find interesting about this is, you know, yeah, I guess it's grounded genre in the in that they go in and get these shots. But what's interesting is that the child that they created together became like, you know, even stronger. Maybe that might not qualify for Glenn's definition since there's maybe two different things happening there. But it, but in one sense, it's still two people with specific abilities who come together and create another human with specific abilities still garnered from the same yeah. thing garnered from the same place from right. the same thing for me. And then, but still outside of the shop and then the people in the general area, when Charlie starts having her moments, life goes on for everybody else that right. they don't know about the program they don't know about these special people. They don't know about this young girl with her abilities. To them, you know, if you're watching the nightly news or reading the daily paper the next morning, you read about, you know, some business burning down. That's it, to them, it's just another thing that happens in the neighborhood right. that you cannot possibly foresee. Right. So. For me, that would be grounded genre because even though it's people with special abilities in a secret program, that secret program does not affect the people who are around it who are completely oblivious to its existence. Right. So Stephen King was such a such a great example of grounded genre. That, you know, the, and again, that's probably why I, why I read so much of his stuff was just like normal everyday person has some fucked up shit happen and then you know they either are changed or change or and yeah. you know things like that yeah as we were thinking about it, like one of the i was looking for an antonym for grounded genre and actually came right to stephen king with uh trucks oh with the movie he made into maximum overdrive because everyday people and then there's this comet but the comet at what it does to the machines and the trucks and everything else is happening all over the place. It's not happening to just those people in that truck stop in North Carolina. So, you know, there will be there are times where he goes out into the fantastic instead of keeping it grounded just because that specific story needed it. But for Maximum Overdrive, which again, not my favorite Stephen King movie, which I've expressed in the past on the show, that even though you're only seeing it happening generally to these people, it's happening to everybody on the planet. And then at the end of the movie, uh, I don't remember the story, how the story ended, but in the end of the movie, it's like, and three days later, the comet was gone and everything was fine. But it's still, so it's not really a grounded genre because it's not, it's not just affecting this one area, this one group of people. It's just affecting everybody. It's affecting everybody. Or Night of the Comet, again, to steal from a comet. You know, all these people are becoming zombies. and Yeah, Stephen King sure is the master of the inciting incident, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yada, yada, yada. Something crazy. And then, you know, movie that goes around it. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, what was the inciting incident there? He just slowly starts to go mad. There was no real... I guess the inciting incident, he just gets the job. But, like, what is it that, that makes him tweak? It's you know, just, I... In the, I mean, I'm sure you've read the book. But. Oh, God. I read the book 
40... I, the, I read the book after the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I saw the movie when I was... Doing the math again. How do you remember that shit? I don't fucking well, the, remember. The thing, well, the, here's the, the minute thing. I leave a theater, like it's like who I was with. I've, I'll like tell people, oh yeah, I saw this great movie. They're like, no, I was sitting there with you. Like Not, I don't remember. I have this weird, and I think this is why I like doing the shows because I have this weird ability to recall details about things that happened so long ago. I can tell you that. I saw The Shining at the uh, 39 Drive-In, which is which was on Beach Boulevard in Orange County off of the 405. And there were four screens at this drive-in. And I don't remember which screen it was. Oh, okay. But, I well. do, but my dad took me to the drive-in, and, and that's where I saw it. And I don't remember what the second. Oh, that's right. Your dad took you to all these just fucked up movies when you were a kid. Yeah, and the funny part. Just... And the funny part is that he, I could not see R-rated movies without his approval. But then when he finally took me to R-rated movies, it was some really weird stuff. Right. I mean, seeing The Shining at twelve—that's a terrible idea. I mean, yeah, and, but and, well, I mean, but that was my gateway into Stephen King. To, to be, be honest, honest. I, yeah, I probably already read it by yeah. twelve. So I guess I hadn't read any Stephen King until I saw The Shining. And then after I saw The Shining, I don't think I read any Stephen King until Christine. If I remember right, Christine was my first book in 83. And then I got into King with a vengeance. See, I thought, yeah, I thought that telling of was, I thought the book was way better. The book well, of Christine, way better than the movie. Like, I went to the movie and I was like, I don't recognize this at all. Yeah, I mean, or again, it's like Christine, I can remember, uh, remember the Skyview Drive-In? Sure. Yeah, so the very first time I ever held a piece of film in my hand was the trailer for Christine, which uh, Randy and Dave and I went to go to the drive-in to see some. I don't remember what we were seeing, but... For some reason, I went up to the booth and knocked on the door and started talking to the projectionist. The movie hadn't even come out yet, but it's just like we got talking for a while. And he gave me a tr- the 35 millimeter trailer for Christine for, as, as like a token of our conversation. But, but for that trailer, it was just like that was like the first time I ever held a piece of film in my hand. Wow. And then... Eventually, you know, three years later, I'm managing a movie theater, and it's my, it's my life. Yeah, once I saw Christine, or I read Christine, because it sounded cool, right? Car comes to life. Yeah. And even that, in a little bit, is, could probably be grounded genre, because it's only happening to this one car. Right. To just those few people. I don't remember exactly what it was that made Christine come to life. I don't think it was ever really explained in the book or the movie. It was just... There was other short stories where, yeah, and like a, a series of weird events happened that all sort of created like a, a curse. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, but with Christina, just, I don't think, and that's one of the reasons I, I remember liking the story is that he doesn't always explain everything away. So many writers have to tell you exactly what to think. Right. And that's why I love... Christine and, and still do. I, I read it again several years ago and it was still mm-hmm. just as good the second time as it was the first time 30 years later. But he doesn't tell you, as, as far as I remember, he does not tell you why the, this specific car. Is it a supernatural curse? Is it haunted by the spirit of the first person who owned it? No, it's just this car is pissed off oh. for some reason. I love and, the I love Stephen. Fuck you! It just is. Yeah. Fuck you! It's a haunted car. Fuck it's off. a haunted car. Who cares? Read it. Just that's read it or don't. I, I don't even care about that. That's just how it is. <laughs> Accept it and move on. I have. But for me, it's just that you know, King. I, there's some stories I really love, and there's some stories that I. I yeah. yeah, I went through this binge recently of uh, rereading a lot of his stories, and a lot of them did not. Oof. Especially being a, a woman, I'm like, oh, man. I mean, I guess this is a whole other story. But, you know, rereading a bunch of his stories, I was like, wow, he just doesn't get women 
he doesn't have people of color in his stories unless there's some bizarre trope and it's just is not it's like the girl just, who loved Tom Gordon. The whole it just doesn't age well. Yeah, you know, some, even Firestarter with like the um I guess he was a Vietnam the Indian, the Native American character was a Vietnam vet and then he became like a cleaner and an assassin and you know, just just even the way he handled that character is just brutal. And then, but then you know he's played by George C. Scott, so I thought the whole you know that's just great. So, <laughs> but I mean, it would be cool to like remake some of his movies and then try to see if you could actually bring it into the 21st century with 21st century. I believe people. that Firestarter is actually being remade right now, Ugh. if I recall correctly. Really? Yes. Honestly, I will. I will look it up. I think it's probably one of those that's perpetually being remade. I I just don't I don't remember ever seeing a yeah. like a, a a repeat or a Firestarter too. I know, but I always it always. Oh, seems there like... was there was a Firestarter rekindled in two thousand and two. <laughs> rekindled. Don't ask me. I didn't write it. <laughs> Firestarter three snuffed. <laughs> but Firestarter uh, four. Oh, so uh, Jason Bloom, oh. uh, Bloom House, yeah, is remaking it That's... and. Um, Zach Efron is going to play Andy. And this other oh my gosh. Uh production began on May twenty fifth. So it is actually in production as we speak. I got I got I got nothing on that. I got nothing either. I got nothing. Okay, so I'll keep my fingers crossed. So my first Your. movie today, Back to the Future. Everybody's probably seen Back to the Future. They should, yeah. If they haven't, they should. There's this young man, and there's this scientist. How they know each other, I don't know. I don't want to know. It just is. It just is. Just move on. The scientist creates a time machine. The young man goes back in time accidentally, messes up a bunch of stuff, and has to go through a series of events in order to get back to his modern day. As he does that, he almost breaks up his parents before they come, become a couple, which almost jeopardizes his existence. But when he gets home, all of this stuff has changed, but nobody knows that it's changed. As much as I love the movie, and I love Back to the Future, I've seen it dozens of times. When there was a Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios Hollywood, I rode that ride 30, 40 times in one year. Wow. I've seen the movie a whole bunch of times. I've ridden the ride. I, I've seen all of the, the sequels. Of, and for me, the thing that, as much as I love the movie, the thing that bothers me about this movie is Besides that, the racism. Besides the racism. Is that all of this stuff changes, but so much didn't change despite everything else that changes the mcflies still live in the same house even though george is supposedly a successful writer right right however when we come back to 1985 after all that time he's only published his very first novel so how successful of a writer can he be if he's only publishing his first novel that day, if his brother and sister 
are now successful business people, what are they still doing at home? Why do they still live at home? It's like a dumpy little tract house, too. It's a dumpy little tract house. But, you know, the parents come in. Mom looks fantastic. Dad looks good. And they were out playing tennis in the backyard. Right. Of this little tract house. Well, maybe they bought the house on the other side and raised it and turned it into a tennis court. You don't know. But it's just like, but so many of these things change. Now, now he's got his truck and Biff just is just a, you know, a, a shady car polisher or whatever the hell he, car detailer. All of these things change, but then nothing really changed, even for the people who supposedly all of this stuff changed. And that's, as much as I love the movie, it's always bothered me. You know, Lorraine looks fantastic. Dad looks great. His brother and sister are doing great. He's even still wearing the same damn clothes. He's got the same exact furniture. In his bedroom. In his bedroom. That's called a reveal. Yeah, I I mean, I I understand the reason. I understand the reason why. But it's just like the, the, like the house decor on one side of the house is as he's coming out of the bedroom and he's passing the hallway, the decor is exactly the same. But then when you switch over to the other side of the house, it's different. Do you think you could have solved that problem in production? How would, how would you have done it? I don't know, because I was only like 16 at the time that they started shooting it, and I wasn't on drugs back then. <laughs> No, but like now, do you have reasonable like? I I don't know. It's just one of those things that I it you shouldn't complain me. about something. It bothers me, but it doesn't. I I haven't put any general thought into how I would fix it. And and then and also still keep that. Yeah, fairy tale. Keep the fairy tale aspect. But the thing is that there there should have been like maybe subtle hints. Because if your life has changed that drastically over the course of 30 years, actually, because going from 55 to 85, right? if that much of your life has changed, that you were a, a nebbish before and now you're a successful writer, and all of a sudden, shouldn't something have changed for Marty in that time frame where he maybe he's wearing slightly different clothes? Sure. I guess, yeah, and then, you know, maybe would he, we don't know why he knows the doc, but would he have even hung out with some weird doctor or, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, and explaining, I was, explaining their relationship. It did bug me that he still had the same girlfriend. Yeah. I was like, how come he's, I mean, not that he should have a different girlfriend, but I was, it, it was, it was tied up like with a little bow. Yeah. And so that's just for me, that's one of those things that's like, I don't particularly enjoy dissecting movies I like, but it's one of those things that it just kind of sticks in my the back of my head. Yeah, that uh, that it's too anachronistic for me. Yeah, there's that, so much shit that I just let go. Yeah, because I just go along for the ride. Yeah, but I mean, when I'm watching the movie, right? But then, right? I'm there. Then, I'm fine. I don't care. Right. I'm having a great time. With Back to the Future, I'll tell you, I'm a lot more, uh, I'm a, I'm a lot easier on movies and TV, having worked in the business for so long. Mm-hmm. Going, oh yeah, I, I can't even imagine how fucking hard that scene was to shoot. So you know, you're you're good with the continuity errors there, you yeah. know, because I can see like, oh that looks hot. Yeah. Oh I mean, that looks like, oh that looks like a bitch. Most of my experience on set was a second AD, so I was in the van creating right. schedule G's and and call sheets. So right. I didn't get to see much of the production itself. I'm not sure how I would make Back to the Future for, quote, better. Right. Because then you're also talking, the production issues are, you've got the one house. You mm-hmm. don't want to pay for another house. Right. You know, and that's that much more art department. This art department, you just slap a new paint, color, coat of paint, throw some new stuff up on the wall. Yeah. Save a ton of money. So yeah. I always thought that that was an interesting sort of wish fulfillment movie, too. Mm-hmm. So he's like, fuck, my dad sucks. My mom sucks. Right. Brother and sister My suck. brother and sister suck. I don't have a big truck. You know. How come he I don't how come he doesn't suck? Everybody else sucks, but he's he doesn't suck for some reason. He's like anyway, so just talking about wish he's fulfillment. A, he's a slacker. That's the thing, is that there's so many again, there's so many yeah. little things in the movie that bug me after the fact. 
that I'm conscious of when I'm watching it. But, but I, and, and yet you've still seen it dozens of times. But I still watch it. All right. I, I mean, I haven't watched it in a couple of years because I've got so many other movies to I watch. But, yeah, I just watched it recently again, and I probably haven't seen it since college maybe mm-hmm. you know so it was it was interesting and again and to see movies also back then and see movies again after having worked in the business for so long you just you see so many more things mm-hmm. and uh, catch so many so much more so many more things and then again i can be so much more gracious with a movie because i'm like oh that looks like that looked like that sucked yeah i bet that sucked it probably did Dave, that explosion, that stunt. Ooh, that guy almost got it. Ooh, yeah, that went bad. Okay. Yeah. Although I will admit that I find it funny when people lose their shit when someone who's never seen Back to the Future before discovers the secret things like Twin Pines Mall becoming Lone Pine Mall. And so many people lose their shit. And it's just like... Okay, it's someone else is discovering it. Yeah. Just let them discover it. Let them be, oh, wow, look what I just discovered. And be right. like, yeah, I remember, instead of being, yeah, I remember when I saw the movie, that was pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah, people are, it's like, you're a freaking moron, you stupid idiot. Right. Everybody knows about that. I, just... I, I remember seeing just actually recently, they were talking about how that was a continuity error. Because mm-hmm. in the beginning, and then again, then changers in the art department, I'm like, there's no way that was a mistake. You know how expensive those signs are? There's no way. There's no way they would make two that were different, you know? Yeah. It's not in the budget. It is not. So it's got to be on purpose. It's not in the budget. Not in the budget. We're not doing overages. Yeah. Okay, so what is your second movie? My second movie is uh, E.T. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, The desertion. The fear. The discovery. The friendship. I'm keeping you. The secret. The love. The warning. The signal. The mystery. A danger. The intrusion. The wonderment. The enchantment. The hope. The connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. This is one of fairly contentious conversation between Mr. Edward and I. Um, not it's, only... It's not contentious. Well. I just don't, don't like the movie. Don't like the movie. I, so I'm 0 for 2. You're not 0 for 2. You I sure mean, it's not just Drew Barrymore that you don't like? It's not Drew Barrymore that I don't like. I, I, have, I actually have no opinion, pro or con, about Drew Barrymore. E.T. starring Drew Barrymore. E.T. starring Drew Barrymore. After a gentle alien becomes stranded on Earth, the being is discovered and befriended by Elliot, his brother, and his little sister Gertie. The children decide to keep its existence a secret. Soon, however, E.T. falls sick, resulting in government intervention and a dire situation for both Elliot and the alien. Not a very good... I mean, I guess it's okay. Well, I mean, there's not a lot of it's an, oomph in there. It's an accurate description of that the is movie. It's not a good log line. It might not be the best log line, but it is accurate to what it is. Yes. Written by Melissa Matheson, directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by the infamous Kathleen Kennedy. So, 
how I feel about E.T. Again, I know you're not super wild about it, but as a kid, um, you know, I really related to the movie. My dad was God knows where and my mom was working and my siblings when they were around were horrible. And, you know, Elliot starts off as just sort of this lonely you know, kid who misses his dad and who has a hole in his life and his family's all splintered. And um, I would definitely call this a wish fulfillment movie as well. Um, Because E.T. fills the hole, not only fills the hole left by his dad, but also everybody, his family all has to come together to get E.T. to go come home. So he gets what he wants at the end where his family is more of a unit at the end. Right. Um. And also, I think it's really interesting to talk about and to ask about kids that age and and empathy. You know, kids kids don't care about you know they care about everything but nothing and and to to feel empathy for another thir- another person and it's an interesting conversation in how we're all connected. Mm-hmm. It's about you know I also think the movie is just about connection, right. about Elliot and ET being connected and it's just chock full of metaphors. Right. I believe that there's more things in heaven and earth. Oh, I, I there's mean, so I, many things I can't explain that. I have mean, to... for me, I I believe that there are other civilizations out there. There are other people out there, other creatures, whatever, and we may never ever have contact with them because of the way that right. it doesn't mean that they don't exist. But yeah, I believe that I absolutely believe that there are there's life out there besides us. We are not the only ones. But they may never see us, and we may never see them, just because of the distance. Because, you know, I look up at a star. Math. Well, that, yeah. But you look up at a star, and the light that's shining from that star happened before Jesus was born, and that it's only getting to me right now. Right. Or before, you know, Caesar, or before Copernicus, or whoever. You know, but that light, even though it's, it's new to me, that light's been traveling for thousands of years right. to get here at that moment. And there's no way that we're the only, in the, the, the vastness of space, that we are such an, an anomaly. Can you imagine believing that? Like, come on. You think we're so special? Yeah. It's like, and then who ants. cares? Yeah, it's like, who cares? Anyway, we're getting, yeah, we're getting off, way yes, off topic. Way off topic. Well, I mean, are we, though? Because. Grounded genre. Grounded genre. But, yeah, it's just, just like, are we alone? No. Will we ever meet any of them? Probably not. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I mean, look how far the... So does that mean you don't think that aliens have never been here? I just think that... That... I... You know, if... How far... How long have we been here versus, you know, if we're here? Well, how come... Okay, let me rephrase. I'd like to rephrase. Okay. Um. So I get, you don't believe in ghosts and demons and shit like that. I get that being an atheist. How does that, how come you can't believe in aliens? Well, I that, they, that they've been here before. Well, like I just, I just know that folklore. Well, I just, I just look at, for um, What about like, Bigfoot? Huh? What about Bigfoot? Yeah. I don't really care about Bigfoot one way or the other. <laughs> but for aliens, it's like, do I believe that they visited here? Probably not, simply because of Matt. The fact that, Voyager, and um, when the Voyager project was happening in the 70s, um, one of my stepmom's best friends worked for JPL, and he would send me, JPL had their own weekly newsletter that they printed in-house about the project that was updated weekly, and this was before it even launched, that Chauncey was sending me, knowing that I was interested in space, Every week, as he would get an extra copy and send it to me. So I've followed the Voyager project for 45 years now. And knowing how far it's traveled in 45 years, just by itself, you know, with very limited, you know, but having right. to use gravity for most of its movement. Like tiny little propeller. Yeah. But to think that if there's a civilization out there that is similar to us, that has been around on a planet that's been around as long as Earth has. Because if you look at the plane of existence, at a certain point, everything that's after our solar system in one direction is newer than us. 
everything on a, the other side of the universe is older than us, right? But if they're that much older than us, they're still that much farther away from us. Two billion light years? You know, because the universe is, what, eight billion years old now? Or something like that? I guess. So if there's a civilization that has mastered space travel, that they could warp speed, are they really going to still be able to travel two billion light years in the time that it takes? Well, based on our math, no. But what if they have more math? Or ma different math, yeah. They got gooder, still, gooder math. Yeah, but but still, the speed of light. They're mathier. The speed of light doesn't change that much. We don't know anything. Or maybe we know more than we know. I, we I know. see. I think we don't know shit. I don't think we know shit about anything, <laughs> which makes it interesting. Because like, why is it why? Maybe just because we don't acknowledge it. Just because we, we haven't discovered think, it doesn't yeah, mean that. I just think that that if there are aliens that have visited this planet, I think they would make themselves known because they'd just be so fucking happy to have that journey over with. But haven't they? Haven't they made themselves known? I mean, really. I don't know. Another thing I thought was interesting was between this movie and, and Firestarter, they're both pretty anti-government. They're fairly anti-government. They're pretty anti-establishment. Well, so. I mean, that, that seems to be a running motif in early Spielberg movies. The, the Nazis you know, in the establishment. Well, not just Nazis, but in Raiders, it's like at the end, right. the government's saying they're going to have the Ark investigated, and then what do they do? They just box it up and shove it in a warehouse with 50 million other things. To be, that was probably the best best thing for it, though. Oh, oh, absolutely. Do you trust, you know, uh, Indy and, and Marcus are talking at one point, they even, do you trust them? Well, of course not. Right. Yeah. So in, in a lot of early Spielberg stuff, he doesn't trust the government. And, and so that being a part of E.T. makes sense. Right. Because he wasn't, or he was becoming Steven Spielberg. He wasn't there yet. I can't say that, that the sequence in, in E.T. didn't make me terrified of the government and, you know, white lab, the lab coats and things like that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, it was The staging, the staging, of, the staging of it was terrifying. Oh, my God. For younger people. But, but as I, actually then as I just recently watched it again... I finally realized that, oh, they were actually trying to help. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so, oh, my but God. But the way it's staged with the, with John Williams' score yeah. and the camera so angles being so low to the ground. Right. And inside the tunnel, and they're all wearing the suits. That and has... Elliot's just screaming. And yeah. Henry Thomas was amazing. Was, Henry was, Thomas. He was brilliant. He, he, was, he, he was a very good young actor. I'm sure he's still a very good actor. I can't remember the last time I saw him. I, he's been in things recently. I don't have the memory that you do, so I just remember, yeah, he was in something, and it was pretty good, and that's all I remember. Yeah, it's I, like... This I is can, why I keep IMDb open whenever yeah, I watch I remember E.T. playing at the Rio, even though I never saw it there, because it played there all freaking summer. Right. Because when you take the 71 from Aptos to downtown Santa Cruz, you pass by the Rio. 71? Yeah. Oh, the, the, the bus. bus. Oh, my God, yes. The, the bus. The 71. <laughs> I took the... Yeah, I used to take that. Yeah. Right. But, when you, but it goes all the way down Soquel Drive. Right. And you pass by the Rio. And every time that entire summer I pass by the Rio, E.T. the extraterrestrial. Oh, my God. But I never went. That is such a great because, theater. Because at the time when I was 14, I was enthralled with Blade Runner. Right. And E.T. felt like kitty fodder. Because it, it was. Because it was. Yeah. You know, it's saccharine and, and it was popular. Oh, it was popular. Oh, the death knell Blade of Runner, popularity. Blade Runner was already cult before it even left theaters. Yeah, that's true. But E.T. was commercial. It's moody and hard to understand. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. It is brilliant. It is brilliant. And I'm... E.T. is very... E.T. is very go with the flow. It's, it's a simple story told simply. I didn't see E.T., until six years after it came out. Really? When my girlfriend at the time was... Because it, 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 it didn't even come out on... Not Heidi. Not Heidi. Not Heidi. But she was like, it's coming out on VHS. Because it didn't even come out on VHS until like six years later. And I still don't know why. So you saw it on VHS? I saw it for VHS on the first time. Oh. But, I, but it was just like, you're, she was like, you're watching this with me. 
And so I was like pissed off that I was forced to watch a movie I didn't particularly want to see because my girlfriend wanted to watch it. Could you ever have even gone in and given E.T. a fair shake? You know what? All these things not related to it. I honestly think over the course of time, I eventually watched E.T. many years later. And I will admit that it is an effective tearjerker. Yeah. It, he knows how to manipulate the emotions of the audience at exactly right. the right time. I'm not a particular fan of that. I will say that, that now I have a hard time with the Spielberg movies mm. just because I, I find them you know, kind of heavy-handed and, and I don't like being manipulated like that. Yeah. You know? But when I was 11 and I saw E.T., and, you know, I related to Drew Barrymore and I related to this weird lonely kid on the fringes of society, mm. goes into the, you know, Redwood Forest, literally, and finds an alien and brings it home. Yeah. You know, that all resonated with me, yeah. you know, absent, absentee dad and things like that. So, again, with the yeah. metaphors. Was there a movie back then that you thought, you know, captured your teenage experience, your childhood experience? Uh, <laughs> Repo Man? No, no we'll, we'll get there in a moment. <laughs> yes. No, if I, that's the thing. It's like, as as a white male. All of them? No, it's just like, just I, you know, no, but we talk about representation. Right. And for me, it's like, I don't have that connection because as a white male, I've always been represented in pretty much everything. Right, but was there some, there's something that really spoke to you? Uh, I mean, well, obviously Star Wars. Right, okay, fair. I mean, Star Wars was something that... And, and the weird part is that Star Wars... I loved Star Wars. I saw it, like, the first week. My dad took me up to the Chinese theater, not opening day. I'm not going to be one of those people who pretends to be there on opening day. I do know it was opening week, whether it was the second day or the fourth day or the You might have day. gone to see uh, Star Wars with Mike. Really? Yeah, because his dad took him to see it at the Chinese, too. Yeah. Star Wars was the first movie where I was drawn into what movies could be. I think Star Wars probably did that for an entire generation. Yeah. And that's the first half of our episode on Grounded Genre. Part two of my discussion with Sarah will be available in a couple of days. Thank you for joining us, and thank you to Sarah for taking time out of their busy schedule to join me. You can follow them on Twitter at Sarah Bullion. We'll talk again soon. This episode of the Film Jerk Podcast has been researched and written by Sarah Bullion and Edward Havens and edited by Edward Havens for Idiosyncratic Entertainment. Thank you again. Good night.